Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome to The China Shop. I am your host, Kyle, and joining me this week is the acclaimed and admirable Andy Kramer from AskKramerLaw.com. Andy was referred to us uh, after we had a fun conversation with Micah, so really looking forward to to digging into the person that Micah considers the expert in the field, because he seemed to really know his stuff, too. (laughs) But uh, before we dive into today's discussion, I'd just like to take a quick moment to say thank you to our sponsors and friends over at Manscaped, Trade Pro Academy, and of course, Orderful Labs. Manscaped is the best in men's below the waist grooming with precision engineered tools for your family jewels and with Manscaped getting into the world of beard care. Now is the perfect time to take advantage of our exclusive offer of 20% off and free worldwide shipping using promo code 2Bulls at manscaped.com. As always, that's the number two. And when it comes to institutional quality trading education, look no further than tradeproacademy.com. In our free Discord server, you'll find instructions to take advantage of our discount with them as well. And for all those degenerates who enjoy trading futures, you'll definitely want to check out the custom tools and studies over at orderflowlabs.com. If you enjoyed today's conversation, you can learn more about today's guests by following Andy on LinkedIn, or you can check out our website at askkramerlaw.com. And that's only one K in there, A-S-K-R-A-M-E-R, law. And then lastly, uh, be sure to reach out with your suggestions, corrections, or questions for future guests. You can do that via email at tubulls at financialineptitude.com, or you can join that many times mentioned free Discord server where a bunch of amazing people gather to share our struggles and lessons learned with other like-minded market aficionados. Make sure all those links are put in the episode description. Now that we got all the the boring promotion, all that stuff out of the way, let's get to know today's guest. How's it going, Andy? How are you doing today? Well, uh, I'm doing just fine, thank you. And uh, I sounds like you're doing fine as well, Kyle. <laughs> yeah, uh, having actual sponsors. <laughs> yeah, that's good. <laughs> I know, right? It is. It's cool. I just had somebody to, uh, I don't know how they got a hold of my address, but they sent me uh, like a list of their books. It looked like really good qualifications. I was like, oh man, makes you feel good when people chase you down. Uh-huh. Absolutely. You're probably no stranger to that being a FINRA recognized tax expert witness uh, and among many other things it looks like you do. Well, I um, my practice has, I'm a, uh, as you mentioned, I'm a lawyer. Mm-hmm. Uh, but my practice has been uh, in, predominantly in the financial markets. Uh, mm. So uh, any sort of products, new assets, anything that's funky weird ends up sort of in um, on my on my desk. And right. so digital assets and cryptocurrency have been um, something that I've been looking at for um, in this in this space quite some time is really not so long, but uh, quite some time. Right. Uh, And uh, so um, uh, would be happy to talk about that or any other issues that you think might be of interest. Well, since it is tax season, I feel like we'd be doing everyone a disservice if we didn't at least kind of talk about like how crypto should be treated on your tax returns. Because it is, like you mentioned, uh, new or in its infant stages, and it doesn't really sound like there's much uh, consensus on how all this stuff should be treated. Well, that's clearly true, and I think looking at the 2022 tax returns is a is an important thing because every one of us, whether we report, whether we entered into any crypto transactions or not, are going to be required to answer a question on our tax return about whether we have um, engaged in any transactions Mm -hmm. uh, in 2022. And uh, let me take a step back for a second, which is that the IRS has found that very few people have been reporting any gains or losses uh, on their crypto transactions. And obviously that makes the government cranky. And so starting (laughs) in about 2019, 
they started to add questions on the tax return about whether somebody's been trading in what originally was referred to as virtual currency. Mm -hmm. Uh, Then we started to hear it referred to as cryptocurrency. And now sort of the the buzz term du jour is digital assets. Mm. And um, each time they change the name, it actually increases the universe of um, uh, products that are, are in there. And so that's the first warning to everybody, oh, which is... That's a good point. Yes. Yeah, so the first warning is digital assets might include things that you don't think should be included in that bucket. So that's sort of the first point. The second point is that the IRS started to put the question back in one of the schedules. And of course, nobody was filling out that schedule or saying, well, I didn't know I needed to fill that out. And so um, since 2019, the IRS has been moving this question closer and closer to the beginning of the tax return. So that in 2021 and the 2022 return, the crypto question is like right after your name, rank, and serial number. I mean, it is right at the top of the first page. Do they do that intentionally or is Oh yeah, absolutely. They they they've concluded that if they don't ask it right out of the box, then they run the risk that um, people are not going to see it or argue that they ha- didn't see it. Now No, no, I mean I mean do they intentionally make it like progressively more of a, a focus? Like you mentioned how like it, it's moved its way up to the top of the tax reform list. Like it was that part intentional to say like, oh, okay, oh, we're yes. starting to think about it. Okay. Now we're really thinking about it. Well, what they want to do is you're right. I mean, it, it, it is a question, but mm-hmm. I think that the reason that it ends up, it has ended up where it is, is that if you're an active person in the crypto space and you, the question specifically has a yes or no answer. Mm -hmm. And if you check no, and you knew or should have known (laughs) that you would be checking a yes, then they've got you for worst case scenario, criminal tax fraud. Mm -hmm. So they're making it easy for them to, they're easier for themselves to enforce what they think are people who aren't playing straight. Mm -hmm. Uh, now, can we speak a little bit about just the uncertainty around like what you're supposed to be doing as far as the IRS is concerned? Like they haven't really issued any guidance on how we're supposed to treat gains or losses at this point, right? Well, what they've done is one last point about 2022 return and then I'll, I'll, oh, I'll sorry. flip over to that. Yeah. No, 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 that, that that's fine. But But I think just one other point is that you have to answer yes or no. Um, they have instructions telling you you need to answer yes to the if if you, any of the following things have happened. Mm-hmm. So I would just urge everybody to read the ins- the instructions about how to fill out the crypto question, mm-hmm. and whether you have crypto or not, you have to check yes or no. Mm-hmm. So I think that 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 really sort of makes that point clear. But but now your your question about what sort of guidance do we have from the government mm-hmm. about the tax treatment? And the problem here is that, as you as you suggested, we don't really have we don't have regulations. We don't have Internal Revenue Code sections. Those are the most authoritative places to expect to find this stuff. We don't have Treasury regulations, which are um, uh, considered to be you know not as important as the law itself, but Mm -hmm. pretty damn close. Um, (laughs) What we have is we have um, an IRS notice, which doesn't have any precedential value, which so for the Mm -hmm. lawyers type people, um, you know that you can't rely on it, except that you can rely on it to the extent that the IRS can't go against what they say in their notice against you. Okay. 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 So, so it's kind of, they're putting a stake in the sand as to, you know, sort of what their views are. So we have this notice and then we have some frequently asked questions, which again are about as valuable as the notices. (laughs) Um, Not a lot. Uh, But again, if you follow them, you're okay. It's the IRS can't, if you followed them, they can't punish you. Okay. Basically. Okay. 
Uh, and then the IRS lawyers, the chief counsel's office has come out with a couple of chief counsel advice memos, which basically are instructions to the IRS teams as to what the lawyers at the IRS think about this stuff. Mm-hmm. And again, none of those are like cast in stone things that you can, you know, go to the bank and rely on. Um, so you're right. We don't have any um, serious guidance. And so that really leaves taxpayers and their advisors in a, in a sort of a funky, weird place because what they have to do is we have to apply by analogy okay. existing tax rules. And so you could line up three or four different tax experts and come up with three or four different tax answers. But is this more of a scenario then where if you're, if you're trying, you're less likely to get into any sort of trouble? If you're trying and you do it consistently and they don't think you're trying to game the system, then perhaps you could avoid penalties and interest. Mm -hmm. And so what that's done is um, I'm a member of the American Bar Association uh, tax section. And one of the groups that we have formed is a cryptocurrency task force Mm -hmm. where we're trying to interface and work with the IRS to try to help them. Because part of the problem and part of the things we've seen is that they don't really understand the marketplace. And when they come out with things that they think answers questions, very often it creates more questions because right. it doesn't make any sense. Why Why is there, I mean, why is it treated so differently than something like a, a typical stock or um, like just the way you trade like shares of a stock? Why, why can't we just go by those regulations and say it's close enough? Uh, That's actually a really good question, because what happens is in the Internal Revenue Code, every time there's a mention of stock or securities, Mm -hmm. they define what they're referring to. And it's referring to stock is always shares of stock in a company. Mm -hmm. And securities are almost always limited to debt securities. Okay. And so... The way that the Internal Revenue Code works is that the government, when Congress adopts, enacts a provision, Mm -hmm. the way that the world that they saw it and what they adopted the provision to mean is what it's meant to mean going forward forever, unless they amend it. Okay. Primarily to put people on notice as to what they mean. So, for example, the wash sale rules might be um, provisions that people who are familiar with stocks would be familiar with, which is that mm-hmm. if I have a loss, I can't report my loss for tax purposes if I turn around and then buy the same thing again within a, a, a prohibited period of 30 days before or 30 days after I took the loss. Right. Okay. So... That deals with stock or securities. Back in the stock options have traded since the 1970s. And so in the late 1980s, there was a taxpayer who took losses on stock options and um, bought them back and argued that the wash sale rule did not apply to them. Mm -hmm. And the tax court said, it doesn't apply. The IRS, you're wrong to say that securities includes stock options because when the wassail rules were enacted in the 1920s, there was no such thing as stock options. Right. Right. So they had to amend the wassail rules to say stock and securities and, oh, by the way, options on stock or securities. <laughs> okay. You must have been reading my notes then because I actually we just talked about an article mentioning that uh, somebody was suggesting that it was okay to do that with crypto, to, to that the 30-day wash rule did not apply. But I was a little dubious on whether that was, like you said, gaming the system or well, the the wash sale rule, that, that particular rule does not apply to crypto. 
Now, okay, so what? Yeah. That, so don't before everybody starts to, you know, break out the bat, <laughs> yeah. brass band. Okay. Um, what we do know though is that there are provisions, economic substance provisions, and other rules that they can impose, sort of extra judicial and not directly from a statute. And so mm. if I, if, if, if somebody said to me, I'm selling my crypto position at a loss um, at point, you know, today at noon, mm-hmm. and I'm buying that same stuff back at 12.02 PM. Right. At, and so now I've got my loss, but I've now got my position again. I would suggest that they probably are not going to be able to withstand an IRS audit. <laughs> so the, that what yeah. you have to do is give yourself some leeway. What about would 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 the next day be okay? Would that would two days later be okay? Uh, I mean, I don't know the answer to that. It's sort of a what's your risk level? Right. If you want to try to put toe that line, then the yes. more time that you put between the sale and the purchase, the better chance you have of being successful. That's correct. Okay, that's interesting. So this sounds like it's not the first time that the IRS has kind of been caught with their pants down. You mentioned the the options world and how that kind of changed things. Um, how long did it take them to get options incorporated into the tax code? And is that like a similar timeline we should be expecting from crypto? Well, it took them like 11 minutes to amend that statute. So, <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, it was like the world's fastest amendment that I've ever seen. Okay. So, so I assume <laughs> that it's not going to be that quick. <laughs> I assume okay. that it's not going to be that quick because now Congress can't even agree as to when it's time to take a take a bathroom break. So, <laughs> yeah, there's been a lot of talk about the just how they even define crypto, and they've not. I've not seen a consensus on that from between you know the SEC, uh, Congress, and IRS. Well, you're right. There's no standard definition, and so what that means is that what works for financial accounting purposes may or may not be the same for tax. And clearly it's different for the SEC. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things that we have to keep in mind is that the SEC is defining all sorts of cryptocurrency as securities. Mm-hmm. And so does that mean that for tax purposes now, all of a sudden, all those security provisions that you asked me about are now going to include crypto? <laughs> The answer to that is no. Okay. But just because I'm saying it's no doesn't mean that the next person you ask doesn't say yes. Well, how would you define crypto? Well, what's happened is the very that notice that I mentioned mm-hmm. just did, described what it referred to as convertible virtual currency, and basically they defined that as anything that. Um, you could use to pay for goods and services. You could convert to U.S. dollars, you know, something like okay. that. And that's Bitcoin and ETH mm-hmm. for sure. But of the 9,000 other right. assets that are tracked on Coin Tracker or whatever, eh, probably not. Um, and so that was a very narrow definition. Um, hmm. They've now expanded it because to now say, that the the IRS is now using digital asset as the their term, and in fact, if um, people are interested, it's easy enough to just go to the IRS website and type in you know type in digital assets or Google um, IRS definition digital assets, and they've now posted for the first time they did at the end of January. Um, uh, a definition of digital assets that that's worth doing. It'll take okay. two seconds to to type it in and and you know a minute to to read it and think about it. I'll actually link that. Mm-hmm. And so so it includes in there a lot of digital assets. It, it includes in the definition of digital assets a lot of things that you might not have thought would be a digital asset. Like what? Well, it has some sort of things in it. Uh-oh. Okay, the dogs. Yeah. Okay, Sorry. I'm on a podcast, dogs. Thank you. 
<laughs> I think that might be the promo. <laughs> That's the promo. Yeah, I'm on the podcast, dogs. Enough already. Um, and um, some sorts of play-to-earn game tokens. Well, now, that's oh, not... what? Yep. In-game currency. They include NFTs. Go go check out the definition. That's uh, very different from what I would have thought. I mean, NFTs, I think, probably, I, I would have put in that bucket. Yeah. But play-to-earn game tokens? Uh, don't, not me. I wouldn't have thought so. How does NFT differ in the, from its treatment as something like, say, like artwork, like traditional art? Like if you bought a painting uh, and then you sold it 10 years later, like how would the taxes on that be different than an NFT? Well, NFTs, what makes them unique is that because of their metadata, they each one are really one of a kind so that they're not convertible in any way. They're only going to be um, whatever value they have is going to be what a willing buyer and a willing seller are, are going to be willing to pay and, you know, take for it. Mm-hmm. And so obviously that makes them different from Bitcoin and ETH. But the IRS says that all cryptocurrency and now digital assets, now that they're moving to their digital asset definition, is property. Yeah, I just saw that. And so the tax rules that apply to property transactions and stock is a property and, you know, commodities are property. So, you know, you've got those in there as well. Um, But the property rules probably apply to NFTs the same way that it would apply to most of the 9,000 currencies. Right. I'm glad you mentioned the the property because that was one of the things that surprised me. I was thinking more along the lines of like land. Like the way, like, so does that mean if I own my tokens for, you know, three out of the last five years, does that mean I don't have to pay taxes on it or different kind of property definition? Here's the, the sort of what we're talking, what the issue is here, Mm -hmm. because property, if I buy your car and I give you cash for it, Mm -hmm. I don't have any tax on buying your car because we treat dollars currency, and currency doesn't go have a different gain or loss. Okay. Okay? But if I bought your car for a certain number of Bitcoin or pieces of Bitcoin or, um, you know, some units of ETH or something, mm-hmm. if I had bought, if I had held the Bitcoin since it was worth a buck, I bought it for a dollar and I'm now going to be um, giving it to you at $22 per Bitcoin. And I, and you have a really fancy car, so I'm giving you three Bitcoin for it. Mm-hmm. Okay. I bought your car for, you know, 60 plus um, thousand dollars in value. The Bitcoin that I used only had three dollars worth of my tax basis in it because i paid three a buck each for the three bitcoin right okay so i have tax on buying your car equal to the difference between what i paid for your car and what my basis was in my bitcoin which was three bucks Okay, so it's so, exactly the same scenario you'd be in if you were liquidating stock holdings to make that transaction. That's correct. Okay, uh-huh. that makes sense. And so what happens is people don't think that way because they think about it as if it's currency. And the fact that it's been called cryptocurrency has faked a lot of people out as well. Right. And so that's because it's property. We have tax when we use it, mm-hmm. and then we have tax when we when we buy it. We could so that if I bought, if I took that one dollar tax basis Bitcoin that's now worth twenty two bucks, and I used it to get Ethereum or bought an NFT with it or something, I have tax on both the purchase and when I turned around and sold what I bought it, I would have tax so that we have tax coming and going which people don't expect 
Longtime fans of the show should be familiar with the lender formerly known as Sue Pullen, and I'm pleased to announce that she's back, fresh off a rebrand and ready to help as Sue Mackey. Sue is a certified mortgage advisor at Fairway Independent Mortgage, an equal housing lender who focuses on finding the right product for you and your needs. She has over 20 years of experience helping thousands of homeowners. Whether it's purchasing, refinancing, or even a reverse mortgage, Sue will help. Sue's licensed in 36 states now, so reach out and let Sue Mackey it happen for you. The best way to reach her is just give her a call at 520-977-7904 or in an email, spullen at fairwaymc.com. Fairway Independent Mortgage has an MLS number of 2289. Sue Mackey has an MLS number of 206048. That email again, spullen at fairwaymc.com. And that phone number is 520-977-7904. Shoot Sue an email and let her know she needs to update that address. I wouldn't have expected that. Yeah. And that's why they moved the crypto question to the top of the tax return. Right. Because people are not reporting what they should be reporting. Is that the way that it should be going forward? Or is that something that you think will get sorted out and and maybe it'll get treated more like a uh, uh, like fiat currency going forward as opposed to property? Well, I, I think that it would be a stretch to say that it, it, there's a whole line of the law dealing with what are referred to as barter transactions. Oh, okay. So that if I'm giving you my car and in exchange for that, you're giving me um, podcast lessons and, um, you know, mm-hmm. whatever. Um those have always been taxable because we're getting value for something. And so that's really what this property concept puts it in. I would like to see it where it wasn't taxable, Mm -hmm. but I don't, it would require uh, major changes to the whole tax structure, frankly. And that definitely doesn't seem to be the direction that the IRS is wanting to go just from what you've been saying. and Right. Unless Congress decides to do it and then the IRS's view doesn't really matter. Oh, that's another good point. So the Congress would supersede. Oh yeah. So Congress uh-huh. can do it. They could change the, they could change the tax structure with, you know, the stroke of a, the stroke of a pen. Right. If they could agree on whether it was time to take a break to go to the washroom. <laughs> That's how you really feel. <laughs> yeah, I'll let you know how I really feel right. later once I get to know you. Yeah, uh-huh. uh, no it doesn't problem. seem like Congress really wants to to mess with this. Uh, at least that's the impression that I get. Uh, is that kind of the impression you get too? That Congress is just more than happy to be like, you know what, we're not even going to touch that. You guys figure it out. Well, I think that there might have been a different answer before the FTX explosion last year. That's a good point. And the reason that I'm saying that is because Congress had lots of bills that were introduced that would have been advantageous to the crypto world. Mm -hmm. For example, there was a bill that would say that the wash sale rules did apply Mm -hmm. to cryptocurrency. Well, there's another rule that could have said that it doesn't apply. All sorts of that it's property, that it's not property. But now after so many Congress people on both sides of the aisle are now having to explain how much money they took from FTX. Right. There's a disincentive on their parts to sort of, you know, do anything favorable for crypto for crypto. Exactly. And also to shine a spotlight on themselves, they would just as soon be behind the scenes. Right. So, so I think that, that it's going to take a while. The the SEC, on the other hand, and the CFTC and the IRS, we could say are probably feeling emboldened. Mm-hmm. And so maybe they're ready to, you know, come out with some things that may just get to the point where Congress feels they have to do something to, you know, one, one way or the other. But, but, but I think FTX and the um, you know, the failures last year of, of so many crypto companies has um, 
uh, made it harder to expect that we would see some dramatic pro-crypto right. um, legislation in the short term. Yeah, that makes sense. I did not think about the, that aspect of the FTX collapse. I was actually kind of just brushing back up on what's been going on uh, uh, with with his case. And um, I was actually really surprised to see how, how much damage he's doing to his own case just by you know, going on podcasts and tweeting, like he, he, you mentioned the the donations to um, mm-hmm. politicians. Like, I guess that came out from like a a podcast interview he did where he talked about donating to Republicans, but doing it dark because he didn't want to answer the questions of why he was donating to Republicans. Like, how how bad does it look for him? Well, well I have no firsthand knowledge. Yes, yes. So what I'm going to be talking about is just my own reactions to what I read, what I know about the industry, and what I know about communication. And one of my, um, my, my vocation is a lawyer, but mm-hmm. one of my avocations is diversity and inclusion. And I've written a number of books, of books about communication techniques to overcome bias. Okay. And so, so I'm going to throw some of my my experiences and, and, and research in on that side as well. Okay. Part of the problem is that he's of the generation where there's too much transparency, mm. where everything is appropriate to, you know, just too much information. Right. So p- part of his problem, I think, is just that he doesn't know how to be any different um, but then, having said that, he would be a caricature of that type of a young person. Mm. And I am certain that his lawyers have either pulled all of their hair out, <laughs> set their hair on fire, or have resigned and, you know, he's got new lawyers, for all I know, because you don't want your client out there jabbering because you don't know what the client's going to say. Right. And so he has opened his mouth and inserted his foot over and over and over again. And I think that that is making it harder for his, will ultimately make it harder for his defense. I think it looked like there was actually some more charges that came from that particular interview. And I think there's another another issue that he had because he reached out to some of the people at yeah, he reached out to the general counsel of FTX's U.S. subsidiary with an encrypted messaging app that deletes the messages after the fact, trying to like set up a phone call with him to chat. Oh, my God. Yeah, it's, this is okay. it sounds like you said, like clueless, uh, but it almost yes. sounds like loving the spotlight, too. Like, uh, Well, there may be some um, n- narcissism. I'm not a psychologist or a psychiatrist, so I don't really. I mean, anything I'd say about mental health, I'd be making up. <laughs> right. Um, well, but, um, well, let's. But yeah, let's let's shift the focus then back to like, what exactly did he do wrong? Like, where is the actual issues that? Well, well, th- this is interesting for a couple of a couple of reasons because it's interesting both from what what's allowed, mm-hmm. you know, what the law allows. But it's also very important from the tax side as well. So I can actually loop us back to tax for the fun of it. Okay. Um, for, for laughs and giggles. Um, but um, <laughs> hey, taxes are what caught uh, Al, was it Al Capone. Yeah. yeah. Right. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, it'll it'll show you. But um, when his company went bankrupt, again, a something worth reading is the um, the bankruptcy trustee. He has to submit a filing mm-hmm. um, about the facts of the case. And the bankruptcy trustee happens to be a guy who dealt with Enron's bankruptcy. And yes. for those that don't remember Enron, it was one huge mess. And um, <laughs> and he really came out of that looking like a real like a superhero. Mm-hmm. And so his his con- the trustee's conclusions, basically that he'd never seen a company as screwed up and messed up and and not treated properly as this one carried some weight for me. Yeah. As to, you know, what the hell was going on. And if the left hand 
if there's a if there's a group of companies that are affiliated, which there was between his hedge fund and him and FTX and some other companies, if there's affiliated relationships and they're doing affiliated transactions and they're not telling people what they're using their money for, well, that smells like fraud. Mm -hmm. I mean, I'm not, again, I don't have enough information and, and for all we know, he's going to be vindicated, but, but at least from the stuff that, that we can read, it looks as if money that belonged to you or me that we could have had up on um, uh, posted on FTX was being transferred and used for things that we never authorized them to do. So the first question that comes up again as a lawyer is, well, what did their contracts say? Mm -hmm. And so we'd have to read to see if their contracts allowed them to take my money and your money and do with it as they did. We, I don't know the answer to that. See, the, that, that sounds similar to what the banks do with your money that you you know deposit with them. They take that, they lend it out. But there's uh, very clear protections for the investors in that case with the FDIC insurance. Uh, same thing. It, it, well, not ju- yes, and not just the FDIC insurance, but the banks get audited every 11 minutes. Right, and, right. They, and they have special you know, rules that they have to follow and things that they can invest in and things that they can't. And um, again, not being a banking lawyer, but I can assure you that um, the bank cannot take my, your, our customer deposits and turn around and give it to an affiliate to spend trading for the fun of it. I mean, I'm sure that there's some (laughs) regulation somewhere that would prohibit that. Right. (laughs) And so, so, so we've got a, a regulatory scheme in place for banks that doesn't apply to crypto funds in the first place. So, so what does apply to them then? I think that's the, the question I've always had is like, what does govern their, their transactions or their, what keeps them honest, what keeps them from doing things like this? Um, well, that's a very good question. The laws, the laws that apply to you are the laws that apply to you. Mm-hmm. And what we know is that they were in Bermuda for a reason. Right. um, That they had affiliated companies incorporated in most countries around the world. Um, Obviously, that's for tax advantages, but also, you know, for regulatory considerations, I assume. Mm -hmm. U.S. um, SEC, obviously, is wants to say that they have jurisdiction over a lot of this stuff. It's being um, handled in a U.S. bankruptcy court, so we know that the bankruptcy rules are going to be applied Mm -hmm. such as they can. Um, So there's no framework for how is a company like FTX regulated or taxed. We don't have that. So this is almost going to be the landmark case that probably sets a lot of that precedent. That That's correct. And from the tax standpoint, the piece that, that I was going to bring us back to is if you and I had accounts at FTX mm-hmm. and let's assume you had, you had your entire life savings in your FTX account mm-hmm. and, you know, pick a number could be a million dollars. You had a million dollars up at um, FTX and FTX goes bankrupt. Yeah. What happened to your million dollars? You had a million dollars yesterday. You now have nothing, Mm -hmm. but you don't get a tax deduction for your million dollars. That's right. Yes. Because we don't know whether just because they're bankrupt 10 years from now, you might get two cents on the dollar. Mm Mm-hmm. You might get four cents on the dollar. You don't have a closed transaction that gives you a tax loss. Yeah. So there's a lot of very unhappy people out there who had a lot of money up who don't know whether they're going, what they're going to get back out of that pool of money. But not only do they not know what they're going to get back, they also can't get a deduction for it because it's not at a point that a deduction would be available. Yes. I think I remember Micah talking about that. That's, Mm -hmm. that is, that is tough because that could go on for years. You don't know when, and I'm guessing that doesn't get backdated. You don't get to go redo your 2023 or 2022 taxes. 
uh, with that deduction in there once it does get settled, say like two years from now. No, that that's correct because it's not a it's not a loss yet. Right. Oh man. So how do you? Ooh. Yeah, you pretty cranky people. Is there anything they can do? Uh, well, I'm actually working on a series of articles about losses mm. on different types of crypto scenarios. Um, and um, there's not a lot people can do. Oh, that's tough. Uh, and th- yeah. the sad thing is FTX is not the only one. They're just, I think, the most public one right now. But I was looking through. I right. think we had uh, Celsius. They record. They failed to record mm-hmm. some 7,000 transactions between two entities in the three months before their bankruptcy filing. Uh, and then Binance was also in trouble for, uh, I think it was like a $400 million sum of money they transferred. SEC judgment, right. Then they had an SEC judgment that they tried to avoid by going into bankruptcy, right? Oh, is that what uh, the the reason for the bankruptcy? I think that, or is, I think, I think that they're in, that, well, that's part of it. What happened was the Luna people, um, there was a stable coin called Luna. Yeah, from the Three Arrows capital collapse. Yes. Yeah. And and when that one went down, it sort of started a domino. And I, I think that that precipitated a lot of these failures. Yeah. Yeah. I think we found out they were a lot more interconnected than we thought. Right. But uh, the thing that keeps showing up in in the three uh, companies that we just mentioned is just terrible, terrible accounting practices. Is that something that's common in the crypto world because there's just no guidance? Or is that just the fast and loose nature of some bad actors that are now in the spotlight? Uh, Another really good question. Um, I don't know. I I don't know the answer to that. Mm -hmm. But what I can say is that these companies grew from nothing to huge companies overnight. Right. And what I have seen in my, in my practice and in, and in my years of, you know, dealing with taxpayers and regulated mm-hmm. entities and, and, you know, uh, clients is that when you grow, when you go from zero to a hundred miles an hour in four seconds, there's a lot of, of, policies and procedures, controls that just don't get put in place. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you're able to play catch up and you can fix it. But sometimes you're by the time you figure out you didn't have the right stuff in place, it's too late. You've already either stepped in it or gone bankrupt right. or had a huge tax result that you didn't expect. And so I think that part of it may be bad actors, part of it may be stupidity, part of it may be going faster than the the speed the speed limit without paying attention to sort of what what you know what the guardrails are. I think I like your your first explanation the best. Just growing too fast. Like you have to you don't know what you don't know, I think is the saying that we used to always use in the steel mill. So That's right. Like when you're starting a job you've never done before, like you don't know the questions to ask because you don't know the what you need to know yet. Right. Exactly. Exactly. And that leads us to why you need to have pretty good advisors Mm -hmm. so that people who have gone from, you know, zero to 400 million in one, one year um, shouldn't be counting their 400 million until they actually get some good advice (laughs) to make sure that, that they've actually done what they can to protect it. Are you a are you investor? Do you like to invest in crypto or trade, or are you? Uh... I I have not invested in crypto for one reason, which is that I spend a lot of time talking about what the rules are, right? What the tax rules, what the regulatory rules are, and what they should be. And I feel that if I had my own investments, that I would be. I don't want to be put in the conflict of interest situation of the very people that we've been talking about. Oh, right. Okay. So, so I keep, you know, gee, wouldn't it have been great if I had bought that when it was, you know, what about this, this token that's now, you know, whatever. Right. Um, but I, I just feel that um, it gives me, um, it, it gives me a, a clarity and a, and a, an ability. You have no skin in the game. Yes, yeah. it, for that purpose exactly. Yeah. So I may be I may be the worst financial decision I've ever made in my life, but that's kind of why I that that was my decision behind not 
not doing so. What do you think about the long-term prospects of crypto? Is this a bump in the road, but it's here to stay? Or do you think that we're seeing the the slow decline or maybe not so slow? (laughs) Yeah, well, well, this is definitely a big, this is definitely a big bump in the road. Mm -hmm. And I'm sure that, you know, the potholes from, uh, from the winter are going to, people going to have a bump in the road and they're going to, they're, they're, Axle is going to break. Right. Um, so there's going to be a lot of those bumps in the road. It's like Illinois roads. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I'm from Chicago and I can tell you I, the, the potholes can actually eat up your car. Yeah. Um, but you don't know that until you're in the pothole. Yep. Um, and so <laughs> the reality is um, that blockchain is definitely here to stay. Mm-hmm. And block, all of the blockchains are fueled by... Uh, cryptocurrency. Mm. NFTs are here to stay. Um, they provide the smart contracts are can provide amazing um, value use cases mm-hmm. outside of, you know, outside of the, the what they might have been originally created for. And so I believe that this is this is definitely the, the world of the future. I think that um, you know, the metaverse is going to be something very popular. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I think that these are bumps in the road, but that this is that we will be talking about digital assets 5, 10, 15, 20 years from now. It, it's not just a flash in the pan. Yeah. I mean, Bitcoin's been around for over 10 years now at this point, right? 2014. So just oh, about almost. 10 years. Yeah. You're close. So the fact that it's made it that long, I think oh, is... Oh, no, 2008. You're right. You're right. 2000. Okay. I was going to say, I thought it was more than 2008. 10. 2014. <laughs> 2014 were the first were the first NFTs. Oh, I would have believed you. Oh, really? They're that old NFTs? Yeah. Um, uh, what was it? Um, Crypto Kitty and some of those were back then. Really? Oh, I had no idea. Yeah. I wonder how much that first one's worth. <laughs> uh, probably. Well, I don't know. I think CryptoKitty made it in 2017, but now that you mentioned that, yeah, because the first thing they were doing is turning uh, like viral videos into NFTs. Now, now I remember right. that. Yeah, yeah. So, so I think that this is a real. This is a. It, I think that cryptocurrency is a new asset class. It's a real asset class. Mm-hmm. I know that although the moms and pops and the the people who've you know invested their life savings. Um, when it was at 80, uh, when Bitcoin was at 80, they're not going to be in the market anymore. <laughs> right. um, but my clients who are uh, venture capital funds or investment funds, they're, in, they're, they're still going strong in, in, in the investment side. So I think it's unfortunately what happened is it weeded out the retail people, which p- perhaps you know ultimately shouldn't have been in the market in the big way that they were mm-hmm. because I, as a, uh, one of the very first, um, I, my, my practice has always been involved in markets. And one of the first really rich guys I ever talked to, uh, was a commodities trader who, who had in those days, just tons and tons of money. Mm-hmm. And, um, he said that you never go, uh, you would never walk onto the floor of the commodity exchange, um, without, knowing that you could lose every penny and it wouldn't hurt. Mm, right. <laughs> yeah. He was a guy who also never had the cash for the toll booths. Oh, what? So whenever <laughs> so whenever I was with him or traveling with him, I would always have to pay for everything. So I figured that's how he really got rich. <laughs> no, but, that uh, Oh, that's funny. That makes, reminds me of a poker book I was reading uh, like people who are really into like bankroll management and everything else. Like, yeah, they may not be able to pay their bills, but they still have their, their poker kitty for being able yeah. to, to go and try to make the money that they need to pay their bills. Like, Oh, I have money to That's play. Right. I just don't have money for rent. Yeah. <laughs> like, this guy, this guy had money for everything. He would once a month, he would pay the, the, uh, the toll booth people what he owed him plus probably a lot extra <laughs> more money than he should have <laughs> yeah you're probably right may he rest in peace yeah there's a few of those all right we're starting to run towards the end here do you have anything uh that you'd like to leave the listeners with as far as preparations for tax season this year any uh well i know that advice is probably the wrong word to use but 
words of wisdom? It's too late. It's too late to do things that could change your 2022 yes, tax return. That is true. <laughs> um, so, uh, so I can't give you any recommendations on that. Maybe we could talk about that closer to the end of this year about 2023 mm-hmm. tax returns. Yeah. But um, having said that, what I would say is that um, the world is changing. I assume we're going to see some more advice in at least some areas by the 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 IRS and the Treasury. Um, the SEC is very active. The CFTC is active out there looking for bad guys. And um, uh, so I think that we're going to have some laws shaped by the um, actions and the you know the the bad results of 2022 is is going to influence sort of what's going to be happening going forward and so i think every day's there's new there's new things to there's <laughs> new surprises to read about uh and um uh i would uh just urge everybody to do their due diligence and not get themselves caught sideways in some of these there's lots of scams out there oh god and yeah be careful about just because some fancy person tells you that it's a great investment, they don't bother to tell you that they got paid a lot of money to tell you that. Oh, yeah. No kidding. No kidding. All right. Thank you so much, Andy, for for stopping by. That's going to take us to the end of the episode. I know you probably got a lot of busy lawyering stuff to take care of. Uh, I'd like to thank everybody who stuck around to the end. And of course, Andy, for taking the time to sit down and answer my my questions. I think she's probably a little overqualified for, for fielding the type of questions that I have. But anybody who wants to, to get to know more about Andy, you can find her at her website at askkramerlaw.com. And again, that's 1K. And then you can also check us out at twobullsinachinashop.com. Be back in your ears soon with another exciting episode. But until then, punch that five-star button like it's your ticket out of jury duty and take care. (laughs) (laughs) I wrote that one just for you. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks and the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.